pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plots against the just, and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword, and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy to slay those who are of upright conduct. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken." A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the day of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish. And the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish. Into smoke they shall vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. Depart from evil and do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom, and his tongue talks of justice. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree. Yet he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man, and observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off, but the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Amen. Let's uh, prepare for hearing the meaning of God's word with a prayer of illumination. Heavenly Father, we pray and we ask that you would deal bountifully with us, your servants, your people so that we would keep your word, 
We ask that you would open our eyes so that we would see wonderful things in your word. And we ask that you would use this preaching, that you would use the afflictions of our lives, that you would use the reading of scripture, and above all, the work of your Holy Spirit to open the eyes and ears of all listening to the splendor and radiance of your word and the glory of Jesus Christ. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Congregation loved by Jesus Christ. An illusion is something that is wrongly perceived by our senses, and usually an an illusion involves sight. You see something that isn't there, or you see something that is different, that looks or appears different than how it actually is. Well, sin often presents an illusion to the Christian. as Satan tries to draw the Christian away. You see something that is tantalizing. It looks good. It promises happiness and security and pleasure. But its end is death. And the Bible, throughout the scriptures, unmasks the illusion of sin. It shows it for what it actually is. And it calls you and me back from the path of death and into the path of life. And here in Psalm 37... The psalmist presents to us, he shows us a new delight, a true delight in the goodness of the Lord, who protects and walks beside his people. Now, verse 4 is right at the heart of this teaching. We'll read verse 4 again. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Verse plays a very important role in the first six verses, as well as the entire psalm. What we learn about in this psalm could be simply described as rightly ordered love. Now, what exactly is a rightly ordered love? Well, there are two options in this world. What do we love first and foremost, or above all? Either you will love the things in this world first and foremost... Or, you will love and delight in the true God of the Bible, first and foremost. When you go with the first, loving the things of this world before loving God, what results from that is disorder and confusion. When you go with the second, when you delight in God and love Him first and foremost, and above everything else, everything comes into perspective. And when we delight in the Lord, we begin to learn how to love people and things in this world properly in a biblical way. When you delight yourself in the Lord and his word, then as you delight in the Lord and his word, what begins to happen is that what you want and what you desire is transformed according to the word of God. You begin to want what he wants and to love what he loves. So what we see in this psalm, as God speaks to us this morning, is that what you love will change the way that you live. And first of all, in verses 1 to 2, we hear a warning about looking down and being sucked into the things of this world. And then second of all, there's a call to look up to God, who then shows us how to love things in a proper way. So we'll begin with a warning against looking down. So maybe you have heard another Christian make a statement about what is right and wrong. 
and given no explanation. It's a statement without an explanation. And so you wonder within your heart, well, what exactly makes it right or wrong? And so as Christians, we always need to go deeper, down to heart matters. As Christians, we should ask ourselves, and ask each other, and ask our children, where exactly does your heart lie? What do you love? What makes you happy? What do you delight in the most? How are you responding to the evil around you, and the evil that arises in your own heart? Are you learning to trust in God and to delight in Him? Or are you learning the ways of wickedness, the ways of anger and envy, as this psalm warns against? And the promise of this psalm is this. If you look up, the illusions of sin that tempt and draw us away from God will begin to disappear. Knowing and loving and delighting in God will help you to see the world with more clarity. What is right and what is wrong and why? It will give you new eyeglasses to see things properly rather than in a blurry way. And that is why the psalmist begins with a warning about looking down in verse 1. He begins with that warning. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. This tendency is an age-old problem. The question is often asked throughout Scripture as people wrestle with everything that's wrong in this world. Well, why do the wicked flourish? Why do the wicked do so well? And sometimes it, it just appears that the righteous, those who are striving to be godly, suffer and struggle. How is it possible for the world to be so twisted? Everything is out of order, out of sync. And then you begin to wonder... Well, maybe I need to live this way too. And the psalmist warns very strongly against that because it is easy to become fixated on the evil around us and drawn into it. It is easy to forget that God is sovereign, that he rules over all things, even sometimes when the wicked flourish. Yet the believer can testify and say, God is sovereign, he is ruling over all things. Looking down, as the psalmist warns about, can lead to the twin sins of anger and envy. And I'll look at those more in a moment, but both anger and envy lead us away from God because our attention is taken by something other than a delight in him and his word. And so the first verse of this psalm contains a double command. First of all, fret not because of evildoers. And then second of all, do not be envious of those who do evil, those who work iniquity. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. This word for fret is a strong word that can be as strong as to mean to burn with anger. Do not burn with anger because of evildoers. To fret is to worry, to be vexed. Maybe it begins with a slight annoyance. It is the beginnings of a burning anger in your heart. And that is not a righteous anger. Scripture does speak of a righteous or godly anger. But this is the type of anger that shows a lack of trust in the sovereignty of God over the actions and lives of men. In this first act of anger, there is a tendency to show a lack of trust that God is God and that he will deal with the issues that arise in this world. 
and that he will eventually bring those who do evil into judgment. When this fretting turns to vexation and then to a burning anger, this can actually leave, uh, lead people, some, to abandon their faith and join forces with evil. And that is a terrible thing. And that is why the psalmist here warns against that anger that arises in the heart. And so we hear another strong warning. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Do not be envious of those who work iniquity. One commentator writes, When the prosperity of the wicked has irritated our minds, we very soon begin to envy them their happiness and ease. So we see the, those who are wicked become wealthier and wealthier, and we become envious of them. And we wonder why sometimes the godly are called upon by God to suffer. And of course, that fretting combined with a lack of trust in the sovereignty of God will lead us down back alleys and will lead us into dark paths. Of course, one of the sad realities on this side of heaven and in this world of sin and misery is that sometimes justice is not brought about. That sometimes evil or wicked people do not face justice in the courts. Slander is sometimes never corrected or made right. And of course, there ought to be a good and godly anger against this, but we also must be aware of the anger that leads to sin and then death, that becomes like the wicked in that way. We must not envy the wicked in their brief and fleeting successes, because the wicked will perish, as we'll see in a moment. And so that anger is replaced in this psalm by a delight and trust in the Lord who saves us from our sins. And we'll see more of that again in the second point. The Holy Spirit comes this morning with a warning in the scriptures. Don't fret about the evil. Do not envy them. We know how things go in this world apart from the grace of Christ, which reaches down and redeems us from the power of sin. Without that work of the Holy Spirit, so often those who have faced hurt or abuse uh, hurt others and abuse or hurt others. And go on to continue the wickedness that was shown to them. That's a result of them being sucked in by that anger and envy that the psalmist warns about here. And it shows a lack of trust. That God is truly sovereign over everything. And that is why scripture continues with the promise. You may see the wicked flourish for a time. But, as we read here in verse 2. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as a green herb. And that promise is repeated throughout this entire psalm again and again and again to remind the believer to keep on delighting in God, to keep on trusting in Him. It is a promise that the wicked will be destroyed. Consider the words of Psalm 1 verse 4. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. As the wheat is being beat out on the threshing floor, the chaff is being loosened from the wheat, and as the wind comes along, it catches the chaff and blows it away, and the wheat settles down onto the threshing floor. One singer writes in one of his songs, You can run on for a long time, but sooner or later, God will cut you down. It is a reminder, once again, of that truth of Scripture, that the wicked will eventually 
perish and pass away, no matter how much they flourish for a moment in time. There are many times on earth when we see the judgment of God come down upon wickedness. Many live in pomp and splendor and wickedness in this world. But there is not a single man or woman, no matter how much they own, or how popular they are, or how much power they have in this world. There's not a single person who will not eventually breathe their last and wonder what is on the other side of death. One day everyone will breathe their last and we will be judged either in Christ as forgiven if we have believed in him, but the wicked, those who have not trusted in Christ, will perish away from his presence in the everlasting torment of hell. And so the call once again here today is to trust in the name of Jesus Christ and to live in his grace and his love. And so we should also pray for the wicked, that the wicked will turn in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ and trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins. And above all, we should look to God who is our greatest treasure. And that's the focus of this psalm. We wouldn't want to stop with verse 1 or 2, but we want to continue with verse 3 to 6 as well. Because there we look up to Christ who is seated, who is ruling at the right hand of the throne of God, who forgives us from our sins and who rules over all things. And so let's read verse 3. And here the psalmist is very straightforward. He says, trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, and feed on his faithfulness. It's a call to look to God and then to live in a way that shows that we are looking to God. And that is the basis for all of Christian obedience to Jesus Christ. It is a call to trust in the Lord. When our life begins with that trust in the Lord, all those actions will follow. And that is difficult, but it is good. It begins with an act of looking upwards from the mess of this world around us to the sovereignty of God who is at work in this world. It begins with a deep and abiding trust in the Lord who forgives all of our sins and cleanses us from unrighteousness. Sometimes the future can be intimidating. I know it is for me, and I'm sure it is for others as well. But as we look at the future... One thing that the Christian can be confident of is this. The hand of the Lord is in it because he rules over all. He is king. But I could stop right there, but the text moves onwards. It continues by showing that this trust in God does not lead to apathy. It does not lead to laziness or to a sinful life. Rather, it leads to striving to do what is good and to live out what is good. The lifestyle that flows from knowing Jesus Christ. And so the command here is this. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness and feed on faithfulness. So what does it mean to dwell in the land? This command to dwell in the land. Well, it simply means to... Live as a Christian where God has placed you in this world. It is a good thing to be a Christian and a mother or father, a Christian and a worker, a Christian and a student. 
Christ himself does not call us out of this world, but he sends us into this world to be a witness for him. That's what it means to dwell in the land. You dwell in the land as his people. We are called to live here in the greater Toronto area and as Canadians and to live here as representatives of God. And in this, we're also called to feed on faithfulness. Another translation would be to befriend faithfulness, to become a friend of what is right. You know a man or a woman by their friends, who they get advice from, and who they learn from. And so the challenge of the psalm here is, are you friends with faithfulness? Do you look to the word of God for the best advice that you can receive? Do you believe that the word of God will always give you the best advice, no matter what other people say? That is what it means to befriend faithfulness, to know the word of God, to know his people, to learn with his people in what is good and right and beautiful. And then, of course, we come to verse 4. Verse 4, we read these words, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. It is a command to delight in the Lord. We don't necessarily feel this feeling of delight all the time. And that's why it's initially a command. When we commit ourselves to delighting in the Lord, eventually we get those feelings as well. It is also set in contrast with the loves and delights of the world. So we're not called to delight ourselves in this world, but to delight in the Lord. You may have heard of the term hedonism. Hedonism in this world is the pursuit of pleasure. It involves often in the sinful world the life of partying. But that is sinful. And this psalm calls us away from that to a different kind of hedonism, a good hedonism that delights in the Lord, that delights in the commands of God, that befriends faithfulness, what is right and true and beautiful, that leaves that life of sin sinful pleasures behind that unmasks that life of sinful pleasures and focuses on God who saves us from our sins and who leads us in his way. The pursuit of pleasure among those who do not love the Lord will end in destruction, as we have already seen. But if you love the Lord and the duty that he gives you in his kingdom, then all good things, all true and godly delights of a Christian life flow from that love. He begins to help us to enjoy this world in a proper way, according to his word. And so the psalm continues in verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So we've heard a couple commands. Trust in the Lord, do good. You can think of the command of the Apostle Paul, do not grow weary of doing good. Dwell in the land. Live as Christians where God has placed you. Befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. And now it says, commit your way to the Lord. And how do we commit our way to the Lord? We commit it to him through prayer. We move forward in faith, trusting that God is leading all things for his good. So once again, there may be a question about the future, and it's often the future that fills Christians with anxiety. Life is not always easy, but that isn't exactly 
why we are Christians. We are Christians because we love God and we know that life in him is the best life and that he has forgiven us from our sins. So that's why this text says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust him. Give your way to the Lord and he will act. Maybe not necessarily always the way that you thought he would act, but he will act. He will show you what he is doing in your life and what his purpose is in your life. You'll see here that this psalm also brings together God's sovereignty as power and our responsibility together in a mysterious union. It is sometimes difficult to understand. But remember this, Christians live faithfully and we seek to do what is right in light of the fact that God really is sovereign over all. And in his sovereign and mysterious ways, we see him use human faithfulness for the glory of his name, so that he would receive the praise. He will indeed bring the righteousness of his people to light and their justice as the noonday, as we see there in verse 6. He will defend the godly. He will defend those who trust in Jesus Christ. And that may not always be here on earth in exactly the way that we expect in the earthly courts and opinions of men, but he definitely will in his heavenly courts. And he will bring that righteousness to light when we come to meet with Christ in heaven. And of course, in that, we need to be careful about how we think about how things go in this world. Sometimes people treat God as a crystal ball through which we can control the future, and that's not a good way of doing things. God is not a slot machine where we can ensure a return on the other end. If I do this, then he'll bless me in exactly this way. That's a wrong way of looking at this. The promise is not that if you trust God, that everything will go the way you want in this life, that he'll give you money and health and prosperity. Godly men like Job, he trusted in God, and he was forced to say, though you slay me, still I will trust in you. He said, even if, you, even if I die, I will still trust in you because I know that you are my God and you have saved me from my sins. And that is because all things work together for those who love God. And so you might think also of the example of Christian martyrs who die for their faith around the world. When a martyr goes to the stake or dies for the love of God, this is also for the good of that man or woman. That martyr is willing to trust God, and God eventually vindicates that person when they enter into heaven through the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. In other words, delight in the Lord. Um, sorry. In other words, when they delight in the Lord, when you and I delight in the Lord, it does not always save us from temporary forms of suffering. But there definitely is that promise that God will eventually crush the wicked and he will bring us into the joy and glory of heaven. And in that case, the final good is found in heaven. Think also of the words, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. There are times when godly children desire something specific and the Lord never gives that gift. But notice that this command begins with a delight in the Lord. When you delight in the Lord, he also changes the desires of your heart 
and transforms them into his image. So when you delight in him, he also begins to change exactly what you want. That means that something, when you delight yourself in the Lord, something that you once wanted, and you wanted so badly, because you have delighted yourself in the Lord, you no longer necessarily need that thing. Because the Lord has shown you that it is not necessary or good for you. And so the command continually is this, delight in the Lord. Delight in the reality that he is sovereign over all things. That does not mean that you are free from responsibility to act in godly ways. But all your action begins with this deep trust and reliance that God is sovereign. Trust in him. Do good. Dwell in the land. Befriend faithfulness. Live as people of Jesus Christ, because that is the best life. And then wait upon the Lord. Wait for him. You'll see how he will act over the course of a lifetime. Delight yourself in the Lord. To delight yourself in the Lord is a confession of our own smallness. To delight ourselves in the Lord, if you think of the little child who is learning about everything new and is so excited about everything new, that's what it's like to delight yourself in the Lord, is to go back to that stage of life when you're a little child and everything is so exciting. It is a joy and love and delight in the Lord and what he calls good. We discern his will and what he loves through prayer and worship and reading the Bible. And then he sends us home to learn how to love the, all the gifts that he has given us, family and church family to enjoy the creation that he has given, to enjoy whatever financial gifts he has given to us in this life. But how can we delight in the Lord unless we delight in his most glorious gift to us, and that is the gift of salvation and righteousness in Jesus Christ. There is no better gift in this life that we can receive than the forgiveness of sins that we find in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ kept his eye perfectly on the will of God and then was nailed to a cross by wicked men by his own people. But he rose from the dead and he was given authority over all principalities and powers and he delivers us from the power of sin and death and hell. And when he calls you to take up your cross and follow him, this is a call to you also as you hear this psalm. And he makes it possible to live in his ways in his pathways by forgiving your sins and raising you from spiritual death to new life through his death and resurrection. He sends out his Holy Spirit to comfort you and to bring courage to hearts that are so easily afraid. He sends us his Holy Spirit so that as Christians, we might not give in to anger and envy, which so easily crop up in our hearts. He gives us all those gifts so that we can delight in him and we can enjoy him and glorify him every day of our lives as we live in this world. The call is clear in this psalm. Trust in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. Look up to Jesus Christ who forgives your sins and raises you up to live this life of goodness for his praise and glory. It is the life of delight. It is the life of bold and joyful service. Sometimes we have discontent and envy and anger that crops up in our lives, but this is a holy activity and delight that drives away all those cobwebs of discontent and anger and envy. 
Because what is old is driven out by something new and something good. And so the call is to trust in the Lord, to delight in Him, and then to see the glory and the joy of the Christian life. Because there really is no better path than the path of following Jesus Christ and being found within His will. Amen.